Jesus House in pursuit of God, discovering purpose, maximizing potential, impacting lives. This message is being brought to you from Jesus House London. God bless you. Hi church, uh, day 14 of uh, POG. So we have seven more days. Uh, thankful for this day. Praise God. Now, I would like you to really take notes uh, today. Um, I'm going to share a message. Um, I believe all the others would have changed your life, but please, I kind of feel this message is very timely um, at this point in time. Um, so please make sure you, you take notes. Father, we just want to thank you for your word. Uh, the entrance of your word brings light. It lifts burdens, it breaks yokes, it, it illuminates our minds, it, it leads us, it points us in the right direction, it sets us free, and it does much more. May it do that and more, Father, in the time that your word is shared, under the unction of your spirit, in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Father, grant me utterance uh, to speak as an oracle of yours, Heavenly Father, in Jesus' name. Amen and Amen. Well, we are continuing on our journey into God's promises this series. Um, and today we are going to talk about the tests of life. Um, as soon as the children of Israel came out of Egypt, crossed the Red Sea, one of the first things they encountered was a test. Uh, it is recorded for us, uh, that encounter is recorded for us in the Bible in Exodus, the 17th chapter uh, from verses 1 to 7. Exodus 17, verses 1 to 7. I want to read this to you. At the Lord's command, the whole community of Israel left the wilderness of sin and moved from place to place. Eventually, they camped at Rephidim, but there was no water there for the people to drink. So once more, the people complained against Moses. Give us water to drink, they demanded. Quiet, Moses replied. Why are you complaining against me? And why are you testing the Lord? But tormented by thirst, they continued to argue with Moses. Why did you bring us out of Egypt? Are you trying to kill us, our children and our livestock with thirst? Then Moses cried out to the Lord. What, shall, what should I do with these people? They are, they are ready to stone me. The Lord said to Moses, walk out in front of the people. Take your staff, the one you used when you struck the water of the Nile, and call some of the elders of Israel to join you. I will stand before you on the rock at Mount Sinai. Strike the rock and water will come gushing out. Then the people will be able to drink. So Moses struck the rock as he was told and water gushed out as the elders looked on. Moses named the place Massa, which means test, and Meribah, which means arguing, because the people of Israel argued with Moses and tested the Lord by saying, is the Lord here with us or not? Now, as we journey towards God's promises as we journey in life, we will quite frequently encounter 
tests or trials or temptations or difficulties or challenges. It is par for the course. There is no way that you can hope to get in to what God has for you without going through the tests, the trials, the temptations, the challenges, and the difficulties that life brings our way. And for the children of Israel, it's instructive that as soon as they came out of, of, of uh, Egypt, crossed the Red Sea, they encountered one of these tests. And these tests, there are two ways to handle them. One way pleases God, and one way is in a sense itself a test. We are testing God by the second way. What are the two ways that we handle this, this test, these trials, these this temptations, these this difficulties? What are the two ways that we handle them? Well, the first way is that we can handle it the biblical way. We can handle it the biblical way. And you know, the Bible is very clear as to how we handle these tests the biblical way. The Bible says in Proverbs 3 verses 5 to 6, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do and he will show you which path to take. I like the Passion Translation. I, I, I know you thought I would. Trust in the Lord completely and do not rely on your own opinions. With all your heart, rely on him to guide you and he will lead you in every decision you make. Now, that sums up the Bible way. I hit, I come, I come into a situation that is testing, it's trying, it's difficult, it's challenging. It, 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 it's, it's, a, it's, it's really a test, an examination. The Bible says, once you come in, trust God completely. Now, the Bible says, the way to do this, don't rely on your own understanding or your own opinions. The Bible says, the way to do this is rely completely on God. Seek his will. What is he saying in that situation? What what? What 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 is he what is his way out? What what does he say you should do in that situation? And then the Bible says, then as you do that, he will show you the path to take, or he will lead you in every decision you make, the biblical way. Yeah, trust in God. Don't lean on your own opinions or your understandings in the midst of that trial, that difficulty, that circumstance. Don't. You, your, your opinion is limited. God's, God's way is unlimited. And then if you do that, if you trust him completely, then he will lead you a biblical way. Of course, there's a second way. And the second way is what I call a carnal or a worldly way. And how do you do that? You hit the test, you hit the difficulty, you hit the challenge, you, 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 you hit the trying circumstance, and you start complaining. Then you start murmuring. And then you go on from complaining and murmuring if you don't stop. You become quarrelsome and argumentative. And if you don't stop there, you then become angry. It's a sequence. If you're murmuring and complaining, you will, get, you will become quarrelsome and argumentative. 
You will flow from that into anger, just angry at everything. And then you will eventually lead from anger inevitably to sin. And you know, when you read what the Bible says about anger, you want to have nothing to do with it. And I understand anger because I used to have an explosive temper. I used to have a temper. I would get angry, oftentimes at good things. I would get angry when people were being treated unfairly. I would get involved and it would be explosive. I would get angry when I felt people were taking advantage of me or people were being rude or disrespectful and there would be an explosion. But I have since come to understand that anger is a tool of Satan and it is one step away from sin. And as I read the Bible, I was amazed as to how much the Bible warns us about the pitfalls of a quick temper, a violent temper, anger, or rage. I wish I had time to run through the many scriptures in the Bible. You can't read the Bible without knowing that, that, that the Bible puts before you that anger and the pitfalls of anger must be avoided. Listen to some of the things the Bible says. Psalms 37 verse 8. Stop being angry. Turn from your rage. Do not lose your temper. It only leads to harm. That's the word of God. If you don't turn away from that anger, turn away from that rage. If you lose your temper uh, uh, frequently, the Bible says it can only end in one thing. It ends in harm. We can't believe this in the Bible and choose not to believe this in the Bible. We believe the totality of the word of God. Look at what it says in James, the first chapter, the 19th and the 20th verse. James says, my dearest brothers and sisters, take this to heart. Be quick to listen, but slow to speak and be slow to become angry for human anger is never a legitimate tool to promote God's righteous purpose. Human anger is never a legitimate tool to promote God's righteous purpose. I can't say with God, the end justifies the means. We are going to get there by me allowing anger to take its full course. And because the end is good, the means does not matter. The Bible does not say that. If you want to follow the Bible, the Bible says human anger is never a legitimate tool. It is not endorsed by God as the way to achieve his own plans and purposes. And you know, the Bible is very clear that anger will lead to sin. To sin. Look at the example of the children of Israel that we just read. They start murmuring. They start complaining. They get angry. And then next thing, they want to stone Moses. I mean, can you believe that? From murmuring over water, it has gone through the sequences and it has arrived at the point where they are ready to commit murder. They are ready to stone Moses to death. And that's what happens if we follow the worldly way of dealing with tests and trials, the carnal way. 
Uh, and it's not worldly in terms of they are not Christians. No, 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 no. Um, some Christians can be carnal. And carnal means a life that is not submitted to the Spirit of God. And they want to take things into their own hands. Uh, you, know, you know that phrase, where we take it into our own hands. What we are saying in effect is, God, I don't trust you to solve this problem. I don't trust you to deal with this situation. I don't trust you to deal with my pain. I don't trust you to deal with my hurt. I don't trust you, Heavenly Father, to deal with this test. Just leave it for me. I know what to do. You know, and then we murmur, we complain, then, then it goes from murmuring and complaining, we become very argumentative, you know, we become quarrelsome, then we go from being quarrelsome to being very angry, and in inevitably we go from anger into sin. The Bible says we will end up in harm if we follow that route. So they were ready to stone Moses. Can you beat that? Because they had no water, no water. They were on the verge of committing murder. And that's, that happens in day-to-day -day life if we don't rein in anger. Now, it's not to say that people don't get angry. Of course you get angry. You know, when I watched the, uh, the, the New York Times reconstruction of the death of uh, Judge Floyd at the hands of uh, the policemen in Minneapolis, um, of course I got angry. I was angry. But then I took my anger to God. To say, God, how do we deal with this? What can we do to make sure this kind of thing doesn't happen? How can we speak out? How can we act? How can we put pressure on, uh, in the right places? How can we uh, 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 make the lot of the, of, the, of the black community better, more equality? How can they get more justice? How can they be empowered? And, and the Lord has started giving us ideas as to what to do. So I made sure my anger did not boil over into any actions that are sinful in the eyes of God. For ultimately, it is only God who can help us solve this problem. So the Bible says that as well. You know, we've got to decide whether we're going the Bible way or we're going our way. The Bible says that in Ephesians 4 verse 26. It says, but don't let the passion of your emotions lead you to sin. Don't let anger control you or be fuel for your revenge, not for even a day. So it's not that anger doesn't come. It's what you do with it when it comes. The Bible says, don't get so clouded in the passions of emotions that you sin. You do things that you know certainly not pleasing to God because you're driven by emotions. You know, anyone who knows me, my family, and anyone who knows me know that one of my mantras is that if you take an emotional decision, it is likely to be the wrong one. So let's have the emotions, but I tell them decisions must be made. You must be very clear-eyed. You must have a clear head. You, you just must go and find what God is saying and make the decisions. Uh, if not, emotions will always cloud decision-making. I mean, people have made lousy emotions about marriages, terrible, and lousy decisions about marriages, terrible decisions about their children, terrible decisions in places of leadership. And why? Because they've been driven by emotions and made the wrong decision. The Bible says, don't let the passion of your emotions lead you to sin. And it goes on to say, don't let anger control you or be the fuel for revenge. You know, don't let the anger fuel you to, re to get revenge. 
I, I must get my own back. We must get our own back. That is not God's way. He says not, the Bible says, not even for a day. So I want to run through very quickly how we respond to the various tests, challenges, and trials that come our way. Normal day-to-day -day trials, a challenging spouse, a challenging marriage, uh, a difficult colleague at work, uh, a betrayal by friends, unjust criticism that comes your way, um, a setback that you encounter, a, a challenging time. How do you respond to those trials and those tests? The, the trials and tests that come to test your heart of generosity. You know, I'm, I'm amused when I read um, all these things that people put on social media about tithes and about giving to the church and all that. I, I, I'm so amused because I can see the hand of Satan behind. What does he want to do? He wants to kill a spirit of generosity and you can't follow Christ without having a spirit of generosity. You know, I say to people, you know, separate the wheat from the chaff. You know, understand it. Are you saying that the principle is wrong? In which case, you need to have a discussion with God because it's a, these are biblical principles. Or are you saying that the custodians of what you give have abused it? They are two different things. If you're saying the principle is wrong, I, that, I leave you to God. You go and sort that out with God. The Bible is clear. If you're saying that some of the custodians have been careless, reckless, or have abused it, that's a different matter. So I say to such people, then if you're, if you're not happy there, find somewhere else. Go to somewhere where you are satisfied that the custodians, the stewards of the resources that we put in, they are looking after it well and applying it well. I, I say to people to tie everyone with the same brushes. It, 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 you're, 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 you're falling you're falling into the pit that Satan has dug for you. I don't feel that there's anything wrong with tithes. I feel it is very biblical. I feel giving uh, offerings, donations is very biblical. I feel that it is the spirit of generosity that, that, that God would have us live by. You know, I'm, I'm grateful that I serve in an organization that by God's grace, by God's grace, has integrity, has transparency, I mean, they're, they're not, I don't know how many organizations in the world have as much transparency as we have in the church. You can pick up a book and you will find out how every penny that is given into this church is spent. We spend one day a year and we run through all our finances. Uh, all, most, of what we, uh, most of those of us who are higher earners uh, in, terms of, in the church, all our salaries are public knowledge. We don't hide anything. We are absolutely transparent and we are not alone. There are many in the body of Christ who have that level of transparency. So don't get involved in people who are trying to increase the likes, their likes on Instagram, uh, who are trying to increase their followership by bashing God. You know, I say to people, if you bash God, you will pay eventually. God is well able to protect himself. If the issue is that there's not good stewardship in certain quarters, address the issue. And frankly, if there's no change, find quarters of which I know quite a few all around the world where there's good stewardship and good transparency. Anyway, that, that's my own in, in terms of that. So 
you, 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 you find yourself in a challenging situation where my finances are not what they used to be. It's a test as to whether I will follow the biblical way or whether I will follow the way of the world. And you know, I like how the dictionary defines this word test. The dictionary says a procedure intended to establish the quality, performance, or reliability of something, especially before it is taken into widespread use or practice. A procedure intended to establish the quality, performance, or reliability of something, especially before it is taken into widespread use or practice. What does that mean? Before we release you, before we promote you, before we give it to you, let us test. Let us establish that you have the quality we require. You can perform as we want you to perform. You are reliable because otherwise we will promote you, we will give you, we will open that door and you will go there and you will be an embarrassment to the kingdom, an embarrassment to yourself. So let us test you. And it is a biblical pattern. And how do I know it's a biblical pattern? Because it is the pattern that God employed even for his own son, Jesus Christ. Before Jesus started the ministry that we all uh, have read about, we all uh, 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 imbibe the ministry that ministers so powerfully to our lives, the ministry of healing and deliverance and, and signs and wonders and, and, and some of the most amazing teaching that we, some, the most amazing teaching that we have ever heard. Before he started that ministry, you want to see how, what happened before he started that ministry. Matthew, the fourth chapter and the first, and the, and the first verse. It says, then Jesus was led, this is the Amplified Classic, guided by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness, the desert, to be tempted, tested and tried by the devil. Jesus was led by the Holy Spirit before he started the ministry. And that is the definition, the dictionary definition of a test. A procedure was allowed. Uh, Satan was the examiner, but it was allowed. That was to establish his quality, performance and reliability. And before he was released into ministry. Why would we expect that it would be anything less from us? God is not going to give you without testing, without a trial, without, without going through some procedure that will establish your ability to handle what he's going to put in your hands. You don't know how many people I, I know who are saying, who come to me to say, Pastor, I feel, uh, or PAI, whichever one they call me, depending on where, you know, their, their orientation. I feel I'm a treasurer for God. I said, you know, are you, are you giving to your church? Are you giving to the poor? Um, which, which, which charities do you support? Which good works do you regularly support? Are you sowing into the lives of those who, who minister spiritually to you? You know, are you supporting the work in your church? Do you give your tithes? And a lot of them think, no, 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 no. And I'm thinking, you think God is going to give you what you want? You fail the basic test. So go and pass the test. In the kingdom of God, you can't slip something under the table and get a promotion. No, you pass the test and the exam and then you're moved up to the next level. So pass the test. That husband that's trying your patience is a test. 
please pass the test. That friend that stabbed you in the back, that's an exam. Pass the exam. Those friends that are gossiping about you, it's a test. Pass the test. The trial you're going through now, that setback, it's a test. Pass the test. And it is God's way. You can't go on to the next level if you haven't passed that test. So, quickly, I want to run through seven lessons that we learn from the children of Israel as they faced their own test. You know, it's interesting that the truth is that they failed their test because you see, the Bible uses two words to describe them. So the first one was Massa. Uh, that was the test. Uh, that's, what, that's what Moses called the rock. But then what was the outcome of that test? He called it Meribah, which was arguing. They went from, from Massa, the test, to Meribah, to arguing. And then they moved on to anger. And they were on the verge of committing murder. So that will be your portion. So these are the lessons we learn from them. Number one lesson, very quickly we go through the seven. God allows the test. God allows the test. The Bible says, the children of Israel, verse 1 of Exodus 17, they were led at the Lord's command. He allowed it to happen. He led them at his command to that place. He knew. Do we imagine that God did not know? That there was no water in Rephidim. Oh, please. This is the God who sees the end from the beginning. He doesn't find out like you and I when he gets there. He has absolute knowledge. He knows tomorrow, even if even, even, even now that we're in today. He knew there was no water in Rephidim. And he led them to Rephidim where there was no water. Because he was leading them to that place where they would be tested. So God knows. How do I know God knows in all situations? Because Lamentations 3 verse 37 tells me who can command things to happen without the Lord's permission. There is nobody who can make anything happen without the Lord's permission. If it happened, God allowed it to happen. So we should be finding out from God, why did you allow this to happen? This is the biblical uh, model that I put before you. You need to find out God's will and God's purpose in that. Don't forget, the children of Israel were being led by the cloud and the fire. So the cloud and the fire led them to Rephidim, where there was no water, because God wanted them to face their test. Now, second thing, God does not test with te temptations. With temptations, he allows Satan to be the examiner. Yeah? So in Jesus' example in John the fourth chapter, no time to read the scriptures, but you know what happened. Satan came against Jesus three times. He was led by the Spirit of God into the wilderness to be tested and examined by Satan. And sometimes that will be our test. It will be an examination by Satan. Uh, uh, the, God, God will use Satan as the examiner. Uh, he, Jesus was led there to be examined by Satan. So please don't say that God used evil to test you. No, God never uses evil to test his children. Uh, Satan does a good job at that. The Bible says in James, the first chapter and the 13th verse, when you are tempted, don't ever say God is tempting me. For God is incapable of being tempted by evil and he is never the source of temptation. It wasn't God who was telling Jesus 
jump off. The angels will catch you. Bow down to me uh, and worship me. I'll give you all these kingdoms. Turn these stones into loaves of bread. It wasn't God who was doing that. Satan was the examiner. And sometimes God will allow Satan to be the examiner, to test us as he did with Jesus. But God himself will never tempt with temptation. The, 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 the third thing, lesson we learn. When we pass a test, we are promoted. Conversely, when we fail a test, at the very least, we receipt the exam or the test. And oftentimes, sadly, it leads to a demotion. When we pass a test, we are promoted. Look at the sequence that James puts before us in James, the first chapter, uh, verses 2 to 4. Consider it wholly joyful, my brethren, whenever you are enveloped in or encounter trials of any sort or fall into various temptations. Be assured and understand. So he says, firstly, consider it joy, joy. Why should I consider it joy? Because I'm facing a hard time. Because I lost my job. Because I have a husband who's a bit cranky. Because I have a wife who's abusive, who's stubborn and obstinate. Because I'm facing challenges with my children. Because my friends have ganged up against me. Why should I consider it joy? Because I'm dealing with some, some um, long-term sickness and believing God for healing. How can I consider that joy? Because I'm being tempted left, right, and center by, uh, by in the areas of my weaknesses. How can I consider it joy? He's not saying consider the temptation joy. He's saying consider it an opportunity to move to an outcome. So what is he saying? He's saying, if you handle this right, a promotion beckons. So consider a joy that they have found you fit to call you to sit an exam that will lead to a promotion. You're joyful that you were chosen for the exam. That's why you're considering joy. You're, seeing, you're joyful that they have selected you for promotion because when God chooses you for an exam, his focus is not on where you are. His focus is on the promotion that is coming your way. So he says, be assured and understand that the trial and proving of your faith bring out endurance and steadfastness and patience. But let endurance and steadfastness and patience have full play and do a thorough work so that you may be people perfectly and fully developed with no defects lacking in nothing. Amen. He says there's a progress, there's a progression. So consider it joyful that you have been chosen to go along this route to arrive at the destination. Be assured, understand that it's not in vain. The test, the trial is to prove your faith, is to see what you're made of, is to see whether you really believe what you're saying, whether the songs you sing are just mere words or you believe them, whether the Bible you quote are just mere quotations or you believe them. And then if you stand through that test, he says you are guaranteed that it will bring out endurance, steadfastness, and patience. So, my sister, be patient with the husband. My husband, my, my brother, be patient with the wife. Be, you know, let patience walk its way through. He says, once you've come through endurance, steadfastness, and patience, you are perfectly formed. You are what the Bible calls a mature Christian. You can deal with whatever life circumstances. Wasn't that the reason God took them through that test? So that they could be better able to deal with the other tests that were coming ahead of them, but they failed the test woefully. Number four, we fail or pass tests, temptations, or come through trials 
because of what is in our hearts. It really is a heart thing. Will I pass or will I fail? It's a heart thing. If I could look into your heart, I would tell you straight up whether you can pass this test or that test or, or whatever test you're going into. It's a heart thing. The Bible says in Proverbs, the fourth chapter and the 23rd verse, keep and guard your heart with all vigilance and above all that you guard, for out of it flows the springs of life. The Passion Translation says, guard the affections of your heart. They affect all that you are. Pay attention to the welfare of your innermost being, for from there flows the wellspring of life. What is inside is going to affect how I deal with life situation. So my, my priority is what is inside. I need to sort out what is inside. Because what is inside is what is going to affect what is outside. You know, in um, James, the first chapter, the 13th to the 15th verse, Paul paints a graphic picture of how this works. He says, there's something external, temptation. It actually collaborates with the desire of our hearts. It has a copulation. If you can imagine husband and wife, they come together. So there's a copulation. The temptation outside cooperates with what is in my heart. So if I don't have anything in my heart that temptation can cooperate with, then it can give birth to sin. But if I have something in my heart, the temptation cooperates with what is in my heart and it gives birth to sin. So stop blaming other people. Please check your heart. You know, just it's, what is in your heart is part of the challenge. So deal with your heart. Because it is what is in your heart that cooperates with what, what the enemy has put out there to, 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 to entice our senses. And the result of that, as that scripture tells us, is sin. And the, the further result of that sin is death. Satan has a game plan. He knows what he's doing. Ultimately, he wants death. Death in terms of separation from God, primarily. And, and death in terms of an eternity separated from God. Death, that's what Satan wants. And he has a plan. That's why the psalmist says in Psalms 119 verse 11, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. So if I can hide it in my heart, I can change my heart, I'm guaranteed I won't sin against you because I have put the right thing in my heart. What is in your heart? That is the key. You see, for the children of Israel, what was in their heart came out. Their heart was not in the right place. And so the moment the test came, what was in their heart just poured out. The murmuring, the complaining, the, 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 the venom, the anger poured out of their heart. You know, in Matthew, the 12th chapter and the 34th verse, the latter part of that scripture lays down a foundation, a foundational principle. And anyone who knows me knows I say this all the time. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The Bible says, for out of the fullness, the overflow, the superabundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. What you have inside you will come out of your mouth when you're tested. We can pretend and create a facade, but it is the trial that tells us what you have inside you. If you have the word of God in you, when you hit the trial, your default mode will be to speak the word of God. Speak the word of God into that situation. Speak the word of God into that circumstance. When you have pain, when you have something in your heart, your default mode, if your friends stab you in the back, you will respond by the word of God. 
If, if, the, if the business collapses, your response will be by the word of God. If you face a calamity, what is in you will come out it's, and it's the word of God. And the only thing that can change the circumstance, take you through, is the word of God. So the psalmist says, I hid it in my heart because I knew the time would come when, I have been, when, I have been, when I'm tested. And that is what will come out. So it is what you have been storing up in your heart that will come out. If you've been storing up things that are like envy and bitterness and jealousy and anger and, 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 you know, and all the negative emotions, then that is exactly what will come out. Number five, always remember your staff or your rod. Moses cried out to God, to the Lord, what shall I do to these people? They are ready to stone me. What was God's response? And this is where grace kicks in. You just have to love God. Because the truth is that if some of us were God, we would have just, just thought, thought, Moses, you know what, forget about these characters. After I brought them through the Red Sea, and just a short while after, it's still in their memory, and they're talking about stoning you, who did I use to bring them through the Red Sea? I mean, forget about them, let's find some people. But grace, 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 and more grace. That's what you and I benefit. And they didn't even have the dimension of grace that we have. But don't forget, it's types and shadows. And God was showing us then that we will enter a dimension of grace that is simply unbelievable. The amazing grace of God. So what was God's gracious response? He said to Moses, walk out in front of the people, verses 5 to 6. Take your staff, the one you use when you struck the water of the Nile and call some of the elders of Israel to join you. I will stand before you on the rock at Mount Sinai. Strike the rock, water will come gushing out. Then the people will be able to drink. I mean, look at God's grace. You know, let, let them drink. We are just dealing. God, God, what God was saying, these are, these are immature, carnal children of mine. Just let them drink. And isn't that some of our story? That God has carried us through seasons of immaturity. But please, let us mature and pass this test so that we can be promoted. And what am I saying about the staff and the road? Listen to what God said. Just, you just have to get into Just The Bible is an amazing book. He says, take your staff, the one you used when you struck the water of the Nile, and call some of the elders of Israel to join you. What was God saying? God said, the people have forgotten this human nature. So the thing that they saw you use, to perform that amazing miracle that they marveled as you raised that staff and the Red Sea parted. Remind them that I'm that God. So take that staff as you're going. What was God saying? He was saying, help them to remember. You know, let's help ourselves to remember. It's so easy to forget what God did. Can't you remember when he took you through? Can't you remember when he was there for you? Can't you remember what your friend said he did for him? Can't you remember the many things he did in the Bible? Can't you remember the testimonies you have heard? Can't you remember your own story? The many times he has been there for you over the years. Can't you remember? Lift your rod and your staff and remember that the God that took you through the Red Sea on dry ground is the same God that is facing this test. And this test is not bigger than that one. He can deal with this. And even if it was bigger, can't you 
Remember what you read in the word of God about him. Remember, my sister. Remember, my brother. Take your staff and your rod. That's your remembrance. And you know what he said? Bring the elders along. You know why he wanted the elders? He said, bring some people who will be witnesses so that they can testify on my behalf. Please be a, a person who testifies on behalf of God. Be a witness for God. You know what a witness is? It's a legal term. And, and it's a, a, you know, I have a legal background. So these terms mean, mean, they mean I get the understanding of these terms. A witness is someone who said, um, I saw it happen. So can you be that for God? I saw it happen. Where did you see it? In my own life. I saw it happen. Where did you see it? I read it in the word of God and the word of God is truth. It happened. I saw it happen. I saw it happen. Where did you see it? My friend told me her story. I saw it happen. So be a testifier. Testify. Be a witness for God. He says, bring the elders. So when they see water coming out of the rock, whenever the people start misbehaving, they should rise, stand up and say, that God that brought water out of the rock, he can take us through this one. Amen. Always remember your staff and your rod. Number five. Number six. God will not let you be tested, tried, or tempted beyond your ability to bear it. Forget that. It's not possible. It, it will be a wicked father, evil father, that will allow a son to go and take an exam that he knows the son will fail. He has no shadow of doubt the son is going to fail the exam. And he says to the son, go and take the exam and fail the exam because he wants to batter the son's psyche. He wants to give the son low self-esteem. He wants the son to feel a failure. He, he wants to mess up the son's life, make him dysfunctional, the son or the daughter. No father in the natural will do that. Why would your heavenly father allow you to face a test or a trial, a temptation that he knows that you don't have the capacity by his grace to overcome? And isn't that what Paul says in, in, in 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 10 verse 13? And he makes three points in that scripture, 1 Corinthians 10 um, from, verse, from verse 13. Says, for no temptation, no trial regarded as enticing to sin, no matter how it comes or where it leads, has overtaken you and laid hold on you that is not common to man. That is no temptation or trial has come to you that is beyond human resistance and that is not adjusted and adapted and belonging to human experience and such as man can bear. So the first thing he says is that there is no temptation that has come your way that is, is, is being so specially designed in heaven that it is not adjusted or adapted to human resistance. What is he saying? He's saying nothing is coming your way that a human being cannot go through. That's what he's saying. He's saying a human being can go through it. He actually goes on to say it is common to man, which means that some other people are going through it. Stop allowing the enemy to, to make you think that it is all about you. Uh, they've designed this one bespoke problem, bespoke trial for you in heaven. No, no, stop that. It is beyond, there's nothing that is beyond human resistance. Amen? It cannot be beyond. And then he goes on to say, God is faithful. Thank God for that. God is faithful to his word and to his compassionate nature. And he can be trusted not to let you be tempted, tried, as it beyond your ability and strength of resistance and power to endure. But with the temptation, he will always provide the way out, the means of escape to a landing place, that you may be capable and strong and powerful to bear up under it patiently. Just those three things. It is common to man, so you're not the only one. It is not beyond your ability. He has given you the grace and he has made a way out in the midst of the problem. 
And the last point as I come to an end. The focus of that whole deliverance was the rock. They struck the rock and the rock made provision. Remember his types and shadows. The rock is symbolic of, for you and I, because these are lessons we are learning as they walked into their promises that apply to our lives. And what's the lesson with the rock? That provision does not come from anyone but the rock that is Christ. And the Bible actually references this particular incident and says that. 1 Corinthians 10 verse 4. And they all drank the same spiritual, supernaturally given drink. For they drank from a spiritual rock which followed them, produced by the sole power of God himself without natural instrumentality. And the rock was Christ. The Bible says that rock that they drank from was actually a symbol of Christ. It was a symbol to you and I of the provision that comes from Christ. So how do I know that I will get through this test? I know that I will get through this test because I am a child of God. I am in Christ. Uh, and because I am a child of God, I am in Christ. Christ will make sure that I go through this test, this trial. He is that rock. They should have known that, that, that there's provision God has made. But their failure is our gain because we learn from them that there is always a rock in those circumstances, in that trial, and that rock is Christ. So we hold on to him, we lean on him, we stand on him, we hold on to that rock, and that rock makes provision for us through the test and through the trial. Hallelujah. God bless you. Father, we just thank you and we bless you. I just want to, as I end, make a call for anyone who is not standing on that rock, who hasn't embraced that rock. And what I mean simply is you haven't accepted Jesus into your life. The provision for escape from that trial, that test, for passing that test, escape from those circumstances, overcoming that challenge, uh, dealing with that difficulty, the provision is in the rock of Christ. And so you get an opportunity to embrace that rock, to stand on that rock, to make sure that rock is playing a central part in your life. That rock is Christ. If you want to do that, you've never done it before, but you want to do it, or you want to make assurance double sure that I am standing on the rock of Christ. Will you just invite him into your life? It's as simple as that. Say this prayer with me. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your son, Jesus. He is the rock that is Christ. Today, I invite him into my life. I accept him as my Lord and Savior. I ask that he will give me the grace to turn away from a sinful life and embrace your life, your way, your pattern, your son, fully in the name of Jesus Christ. I declare by this prayer that I am born again into your family. In Jesus' name, amen and amen and amen. Amen. God bless you. If you said that prayer, please press the bar that is directly on, under the screen, uh, the yellow bar. Please press that bar right now. Press that bar if you said that prayer. That allows us to um, know how many people are joining the family of God. We can celebrate with you. A form will come out which you can... Uh, um, uh, fill and 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 um, that form will allow us to come alongside you and resource you hallelujah i hope you were blessed by that um i might have preached longer than i 
normally would have by about five minutes or so, then about maybe maybe slightly more, I'm not sure, maybe something like that. But I'm, I, I'm, I'm certain you were blessed by it. I was determined to get this into your, your system so that we can face the tests and trials that are ahead. So what are we looking forward to next Sunday? We're looking forward to a revelation of God. A revelation of God. I am excited about it. And we're looking forward to the week of this pursuit into next week's Sunday. Isn't it interesting that the Sunday that we end the pursuit of God, we will be ending with a revelation of God. Hallelujah. God bless you and have a fantastic week in the pursuit of God.